everybody else's. So glad that you're here. Been a long, hot streak, hasn't it? it uh, I, my friends back in Oklahoma are giving me a bad time about how hot it is here. But I write back and say, in November, December, January, February, and March, you don't have to shovel this warm. You don't have to shovel warm. So uh, I, I'll take the summer. I don't know about you, but I'm going to take the summer. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. Why don't you turn in your Bibles there with me to 1 Samuel as we continue in our summer series on uh, the Old Testament characters. And today we come to uh, the most famous king of Israel, David, and the most successful king of Israel. Uh, a little of the history, perhaps, and maybe setting the stage a bit. For, for years, as you would imagine, I have done funerals, led funerals. And um, um, it's my practice to sit down with the family members and discuss the person who has died, even if I've known them for a long time, but to discuss that person and ask them to tell me stories about them and how they would characterize them and those kind of things. Then I'd go back to the office, sit down, and begin to try to capture what they say. I failed miserably every time. I mean, how do you encapsulate a life in just a few minutes worth of talk? And that's the way it is with King David. I have no idea how you tell his complete story. And so I'm going to take some pictures of him along the way and see if we can gather from those the kind of man that we're dealing with here. It was a chaotic period of time in the life of the nation. Uh, it, bad things had happened. Uh, the leadership was poor. The Philistines had... Uh, we were just, you know, they were just constantly attacking uh, Israel. And so it was just a very difficult period of time. And the people got together and they went to Samuel and they said to Samuel, we want a king so that we can be like other nations. Now here's the problem. They couldn't be like other nations. See, they were the children of God. Today, we are the children of God. We will not be like other people. If we are, there's something wrong. Uh, and Israel could not be like other nations because they belonged to the Lord and were in relationship with him. But they persisted in their desire for a king. And they came to Samuel. Samuel was the last of the judges he was a prophet and a priest. He was acting as leader. And so uh, they came to him and said that they wanted a king. And Samuel prayed. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 8, verse number 6. But the things displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge over us. In a way, this is rejecting uh, uh, the leadership 
of Samuel in a way that just their desire for more and to not follow the will of God. So, and Samuel prayed to the Lord, verse seven, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that you say and uh, in all that uh, they say to you, for they have not rejected you. And I think this is an important thing to, to point out here. When you talk to someone about church, about Christ, about uh, living for the Lord, and they reject you, you should know that their rejection is of the Lord, it's not you. You have succeeded by talking with them about it, and their response is between them and God. And so the Lord says here, listen, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them according to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving gods, other gods, so they are also doing to you. And so there was God's response. God's response was, they want a king, let's give them a king. And Samuel tried to install his sons as leaders, but they were evil. And I'm not sure that Samuel understood how evil they were. And so the people rejected him, but they had their own choice. And his name was uh, Saul. Saul was tall, dark, and handsome. Uh, he was remarkable, and he just stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And the king wa- uh, and the people wanted him to be their first king. And so, in accordance to what God said, Samuel obeyed and anointed him with ki- as king. Now, Saul started out strong, and in the early days, he did a really good job. But as time went on, he deteriorated. He deteriorated emotionally, spiritually, uh, I think in every way, as a leader. And as this was going on, as his life was progressing forward, as the leader of the people, these failures began to be even more rampant and more significant. And finally, God rejected Saul. The people should now understand where they were going. They're reaping the consequences of their decision. And this was heartbreaking for Samuel. He hated to see what happened to Saul. But it says this in 1 Kings 16. So we're over eight chapters to verse 16, and it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? In other words, God's saying, Listen, you've got to get past this. It's time for us to go on. Fill your horn with oil and go. This oil would be for anointing another king. Uh, I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He was from Bethlehem. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And so now Jesse has some direction from the Lord. And he went 
to Bethlehem and found the home of Jesse. Uh, and Jesse had eight sons. But before I get to, to that, um, who was Jesse? What significance does he plant, play in the history of Israel and in redemption? Well, perhaps you'll remember studying the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, there are two, um, two people, a man and a woman. I'm not going into the details other than to say they fell in love. And uh, least likely candidates to do that, but they did. The Lord was in that. And so they had a child named Obed. And Obed had a child whose name was Jesse. And Jesse had a child whose name was David. You can see how this is all fitting together. Well, Samuel went to Jesse's home and interviewed six of his sons, the six oldest sons. And sure enough, God's favor was not on any of them. Well, this was confusing, as you can imagine, to Samuel. But then he found out there was another son. This son was just a shepherd, just a shepherd boy. That's all he was. He had been sent out probably as a teen to, by his father to the fields to watch over the family's flock. And so that's all he was. He was just, just a shepherd boy. But when Samuel called for him and he came in, the first thing, when Daniel saw him, he knew, excuse me, uh, when uh, Samuel saw him, the first thing that he did was recognize him as this is God's anointed one, the selected one to be the king. And then Samuel took that oil and he poured it over David and anointed him as the king there. Now, you have to wonder, how did something like that happen? I mean, this is a shepherd boy. Shepherds were not well thought of in that society. They were not well-educated. They spent most of their life living outdoors. Uh, why? Why would God select this person? He was young. He was uh, inexperienced. He was unproven. And uh, we have nothing about an education, formal education, for him. And his family was not prominent. He was not a good candidate to be the king. But God had been working in his life. And I'm going to say that he went to college. He went to the college. He went to the school of solitude. Uh, he would, was a shepherd and he stayed in the fields. His life was isolated in large part from others. Uh, he lived a life of isolation in the fields, in the mountains. In the, uh, <clears throat> in the desert uh, and dealing with predators and dealing with thieves. All of this is what he learned out there in the solitude, in the obscurity, in the monotony of being a shepherd. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, uh, I knew that the Lord had called me uh, to to uh, do what I'm doing. And uh, 
uh, there was no doubt in my mind that God was calling me to do that. And there was no doubt in my mind that I neither wanted to nor could do it. You see, uh, I, and I, I thought to myself, here I am, I am an introvert. Uh, and I'm not ashamed of it, and I don't want to be, by the way, an extrovert like you. I just don't want it. Uh, you're supposed to be laughing, at least a smile. I just get a smile out of you, that would be coming the next step. And so, uh, you know, I, I was an introvert, and I hated to study. Now, put those two things together, an introvert who hates to study. Now, what in the world would he do as a pastor and preacher for a church? Uh, well, uh, that's why I said no, and I said no, and I said no, and I said no, but I did go into the insurance business, and God blessed that in remarkable ways. In fact, without uh, bragging, this is what God did. I sold more insurance in the first year than anybody in the Western region. It was a miracle. Uh, after all, here I'm still this introverted person, finding it hard to go out and meet people that I don't know. And so uh, I did that for six years and ended up being the regional manager for an eight-state region of, of the company. But my point is that these were not wasted years. God used these years to teach me to relate to people, to teach me to speak with people. Uh, these, this was an education for me that was preparing me to do what I'm doing today. And so, uh, and that's what God was doing in, in uh, Saul, uh, David's life. He was preparing him for what he would eventually uh, do. But Saul was still in office. And there's the problem. He's still in office. He started out remarkably well, but things fell apart relatively quickly. Uh, he decayed emotionally and significantly. Uh, some people, some mental health professionals say that he was probably bipolar. He would have these extreme ups in which he thought he could do anything in the world, and then these extreme doubts as he lived in the depth and the, the, the darkness of depression. And so this was happening in Saul's life. And so how could they get the king some kind of help? It was obvious that his leadership was falling away, so uh, how could they get help for him? Well, one of his servants said, I've heard of a young man from Bethlehem, and he is an expert harpist. And David was renowned for his ability to play the harp. And so this servant said, let's bring him in and have him play for you. See if it calms your spirit." And they sent for David. David brought his harp, and he played, and Saul's soul, his spirit was, was soothed, and it, it did make a difference in Saul's life. Well, Saul, recognizing qualities in David's life, 
uh, said, you know, I'm, I'm going to send you out and do, to do some other things. You're so competent. And sure enough, he did. Saul sent him to do a number of different things, and in everything, David succeeded. Now, that should make a good leader more than happy because we should want to see uh, people who work for us uh, to, to do better, to rise, and to, to shine in and of themselves. But that's not what happened with Saul. Saul became angry. Saul became bitter, jealous about David. And David started to run. David ran most of the next eight years. He had times that he could have degraded Saul, that he could spark a, a, a revolt, uh, that he could have physically taken Saul's life, but he didn't. He respected the position. And so uh, he didn't. And so here is a man, here is a man who was just a shepherd, but God is preparing his heart to be the king of that nation. And if I could, let me just digress to say this. God is at work in your life behind the scenes, preparing you for what he wanted. Just like he used the insurance business for me. He, he is using what experiences that you have to prepare you for what God is going to do in your life as the future goes on. So understand, this is a time of preparation for all of us. And as a, in this time of preparation, we need to learn everything about God that we can. Well, David was recognized as a man after God's own heart. When we think of David, we think of his failures. It's interesting, you say, uh, King David. And the immediate response that people have is, yeah, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And that's right. Some will go on to say, and uh, a crime against her, her husband, a capital crime against the husband. And that's true. And then some may even go on to say, and he was a terrible father. You can see that from the lives of his children. And that, unfortunately, is also true. Uh, he was a failure in those ways. But as tragic as those things are, uh, we have exhausted uh, ourselves in considering the sins and the ramifications of those sins. I instead today want to do something else, and that is not look at the failures, but I'd like for us to grasp the success, the kind of person that he was. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, it says this, but now your kingdom, Saul, will not continue. The Lord has brought out a man after his own heart. See that terminology, after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over the people because you have not uh, kept Saul, or, or yes, Saul, 
what the Lord commanded you. This had to be crushing to Saul because here we see Samuel saying, there's a man after God's own heart and God's going to replace you with him. Uh, in the book of Acts 13, uh, 13th chapter, verse 22, it says, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, God's words, I have found in David a son, uh, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. So, what do we see here? Yes, he was a man who failed. You and I have also done our, our um, amount of sinning and failing as well. David fell spectacularly, and there's no question about that. But, again, much more to his life, including the fact that he was a man after God's own heart, according to the words of God himself. How could an adulterer, a murderer, and a poor parent be a man after his God's own heart? How could it be? In what way was he? Well, let me just read some, a few of the 73 psalms that he wrote and see in these the, the qualities that God was talking about when he's talking about David's heart. In Psalm 9, verse 1, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. One thing we've got to say about him is that he was a man of gratitude. And so often we're not. Uh, so often we are asking, asking, asking God to do something. And when he does, there's no gratitude. There's no response to that. It's, it's like the lepers who Jesus healed and only one returned. David was a man of gratitude. Are you a person of gratitude? Yesterday, Marcia and I, uh, at dinner time, we stopped uh, eating and we just prayed for something. Uh, something that's very important to us regarding somebody that we love dearly. And so we prayed. And by last night, we learned that the Lord had answered that prayer. It was difficult, but the Lord had answered the prayer. It was at that point that we really needed to stop and express our thanksgiving to God. And it was it was unfortunately uh, last night when I got in bed I be and prayed, I began to realize I had not thanked God for what he's done. A man after God's own heart is a person, a man or woman, who is a person of gratitude. Remind yourself that every good thing that you have in life has come to you from God. Uh, then Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? A man after God's own heart was a person who was assured of God's protection and provision. 
He knew that God was going to provide for him. Do you? Do you know that God's going to prepare, uh, is preparing for you and he will provide for you? Do you know that? You see, the Bible teaches us that God is constantly sending his grace to us. And this grace comes at exactly the time that we need it. It's ever coming grace. We'll never walk out of it. We'll never, uh, we'll never be away from it. It's constantly coming. We can be assured of the provision and the protection of God. He, he may not do it the way we want, but nevertheless, he will do what is right. Another, uh, Psalm 42, verse 1 says this, As the deer pants for flowing waters, so pants my soul for you, O God. And, and the, it goes on in wonderful ways. Panting after the Lord, desiring the Lord. He was a man who desired the Lord. He wanted more than just a philosophical or religious idea of God. God at a distance. He wanted to walk with God in intimacy of fellowship together. Uh, and, and that was so important to him that he pursued the Lord and uh, a relationship with him. Are you, are you seeking to uh, deepen your walk with the Lord? Uh, is this important in your life? Well, if you ask God, it can be important in your life. And I would just say, that's the kind of person who God has their heart, God has their attention. Uh, Psalm 51. After his failure with Bathsheba, God convicted David of what he had done. That happens, by the way. For those who belong to Christ, understand that you cannot sin with impunity. And when you sin, God will convict you of the sin. You may not listen, you may harden your heart, but God will work to break through that and in breaking through that, he will remind you of the sin. Uh, have you confessed all of your sins to God. You see, here's how this works. When you came to Christ, when you believed that Jesus died on the cross to pay your, to be your substitute, to pay what we call the price of rebellion against God, Jesus died on the cross to pay that in order to bring us salvation and forgiveness. Jesus' death paid the penalty, you see. Now, in eternity, we are completely forgiven. God has forgiven you of every past sin, totally, and any sin that's ongoing in your life today. He's forgiven it. God has already forgiven every sin in the future. If you were to die tomorrow, your sins would be atoned for. But we're living here in this capsule of time. And in time, we need 
to deepen our fellowship with God. And that's what David is doing here. He's praying, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your, uh, to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He is a repentant man. Every Christian who is pursuing Christ will be a repentant person. Do you find yourself confessing the sin that you have committed? Are you surrendering that to God? Know that that is a normal thing in the life of a Christian. And then finally, how could I uh, read these Psalms without reading the 23rd? It says this, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Even your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here is a man who knows what it is to have faith that God is going to act in his life. He fully expects that goodness and mercy is going to follow him all of the days of his life. What made him a man after God's own heart? This is a man who took God at his word. You know, the Bible says that we are to walk by faith and not by sight, and without faith it's impossible to please God. If you're not if you're struggling with faith, ask God to supply you greater faith, and he will. He will. And so uh, David was a man who had faith in the Lord, devotion to him, as we see in the 23rd Psalm. So who was David? David was the greatest king that Israel ever experienced. He was the writer of 73 of the Psalms. It was from his lineage that the Messiah was born, and he was a man after God's own heart, showing gratitude and trusting God to provide and desiring a relationship with God, fellowship with God, and he was repentant, and he was a man who was learning to live by faith. That's who David was in addition to his failures. And then David grew old, and he died. It says this after, in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. 
He has prepared his son Solomon to be his successor. And it says this in verse number nine. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. We know where that is today, just outside the old city of Jerusalem, just on the east side. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. And so he passed and his son Solomon followed him. What, as we go to apply his life, how do we do it? What relevance does somebody that lived in the Iron Age have with us today? Well, here are some things. Let, let's just, let's take the obvious. Uh, here is a man who learned what it was like to be in fellowship with God intimately. We are way too busy. If you ask people how they are, the answer is way too busy. Uh, I was just back in Oklahoma for uh, a board meeting for uh, our ministry, and uh, it, you know, they asked me, how are you, Dennis? And I said, I'm too busy. I'm doing the same thing. Uh, if you're too busy, you have to do something about it. You, we are always connected. You, uh, you go out to eat with your spouse, and the phone is on the table. You take your kids to play, and you're reading your texts. Uh, it's just rampant in every part of your life. Right now, you're wondering what's on your phone. Uh, we, we are way over-connected. So filling our lives with such things that we don't have time to walk with the Lord intimately. And another thing is that we're just driven by the technology in our lives. Uh, our middle, our, our youngest son is a pastor in Midtown, uh, Midtown Phoenix. And uh, his wife went away for a weekend with her girlfriends. And so uh, we helped watch the kids uh, for like three days. And it was wonderful. Marcia had the time of her life. I did start drinking hard liquor during... <laughs> Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, they're, they're, good, they're good boys. They, they really are. In their place, you know. Uh, no, I'd get in trouble for that one, so uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, so this, this is not how God wants us to be, driven by our calendars, driven by our involvements in life. That's not what God wants. How in the world could God speak deeply into our hearts? Uh, how can God, uh, God pierce the veil of our busyness, the tyranny of our busyness, so that we have time alone with him and him alone? Well, take time. Take the time. Establish in your mind, uh, in your schedule, a time that you set apart 
for truly seeking the Lord in his word and in prayer. You might say, I have trouble understanding the Bible. My friend, I have trouble understanding the Bible too. We all do. But the issue is not that you understand everything. It's that it's getting into your soul. And God, at the right time, will take that out and use it in your life. God does speak primarily to us through a book. Read what he says. Take it in. As you're reading the Bible, ask yourself these questions. What does the the passage teach us about God? What does it teach us about ourselves? What does it teach us about things that we should do? What we should not do? And how that we can live for him? Uh, just, just ask yourselves that. Fill in those blanks, those questions. Answer the questions. And sure enough, you're going to find that God deepens your walk with him. And also in prayer. Uh, I don't know about you, but I think that most people have trouble praying. So what do you do after you've prayed for your family and yourself and you God ask God to lead, guide, and direct, (laughs) then what? Well, uh, Martin Luther wrote a book, and it was to his barber. And he said, this is how you pray. Start in Psalm 1, read, blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, and start praying that. God, help me to not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Help me walk in your counsel. You see? And uh, pray every one of the Psalms. That's going to give you plenty to pray over. And then uh, pray the Lord's Prayer and the parts of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, And then the Beatitudes. I mean, you have a whole Bible here to pray back to the Lord. Pray his word to him. And God will fill your heart with what prayer really is. Now, there's another thing that we would have to say as far as application is concerned. And that is pray for a heart like David's. That you might be a woman, that you might be a man whose heart is for the Lord. So, you know, how is that done? It's done by recognizing that it will be mostly in obscurity, in the quiet times, in the lonely times that the Lord does this work in your heart. Pray for the Lord to do this. Ask him to make you a person of gratitude and a person who trusts what God is going to do, that, that you desire God and to walk with him. Pray uh, uh, and be repentant in your prayers. Ask God, remind me of the sins that I've committed and uh, I'll confess them as wrong. And then don't argue with him about what you see. Uh, and pray that you might be one who lives by faith and not just by sight. You see, these are the attributes of David. He did much more than commit adultery. He was much more than 
a poor parent. David was a man after God's own heart, and we should cherish that and see that for what it is, an example for our lives as well. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful for this time together today around your word. And Lord, while I have not prayed the plan of salvation, certainly, or, or, or taught it today, I do pray for those that I know you are calling to yourself. You are calling people to yourself. Give them the faith with which they can make that decision. And then, Lord, for the, the rest of us, that know what it means to be a failure, but we also know what it means to desire God. Lord, give us the faithfulness that's required to pursue you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.